Hey, everybody. We uh, hope that you're warm and that you are safe. There are no services tonight because the roads are still a little bit icy in some places. Uh, the schools are closed as well. And we just wanted to uh, make sure you're safe uh, and everything. But the wonderful thing about technology is that we can continue on through our studies, um, especially during midweek. Uh, we can record these videos and, and have a little devotion time for you. Um, and, and so that's what we're going to do tonight. We are going to continue on through our study of John. Um, we are in John chapter 4, verses 31 through 38. Um, and we're going to be in John chapter 4 for um, the next couple of weeks. Um, but we had just looked at the Samaritan woman with, with Jesus um, at the well. And we're going to be right at the end. And we looked at it last week about um, how Jesus did evangelism. And this this week, we're going to look at uh, three excuses for evangelistic failure. Now, I had to go back to my evangelism class notes and kind of look through some things uh, through that. And really, a lot of this is coming out of a commentary um, that I had uh, for evangelism. And I just want to continue on that theme. Uh, through this week. So if you will um, look at John chapter 4 verses 31 through 38 and we'll read that. Verse 31. In the meantime the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food it's to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, Do not say there are four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I am telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. So when we look at these three evangelistic failures um, in this passage, we, we kind of back up just a little bit and, and see where the disciples were uh, when they first came back um, and saw Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. First of all, we think that sometimes we look at somebody and we, when we do evangelism and we go, we judge them. We judge them in a way of saying that, oh, they're probably not going to be interested in what I am having to say or, or they're not interested in what uh, God is doing for them. Um, the disciples that just returned from their, their trip to town um, to get food, and then they were shocked to see Jesus talking with this one woman. Uh, they wonder why Jesus would even waste time talking to her because, you know, of all people, the Samaritans, um, the Jews did not like him at all. Uh, they could understand Jesus talking to Nicodemus because he was a, um, a high-ranking Jew at that point, but, um, and he was a religious man. But the Samaritan woman, she was low, you know, there. She was... Um, just not a clean person. She was uh, half-blood is what um, we'd call it. But they were kind of asking to themselves, they never said it out 
out loud, but they said, why are you talking to her? And Jesus made a point in the show. And what we kind of said last week was, you know, to, to treat everybody equal. Uh, but we don't need to judge who will respond to the gospel. Uh, this lady responded to the gospel and she took off with it and she ran back to town to tell everybody about it. So we need to not judge who will respond to the gospel, but we need to share it with everyone, everybody that we know. Um, we don't need to say, oh man, I've been trying to share the gospel with them for for X amount of years and they've never even uh, seemed like they're interested. Or that person over there, he doesn't he doesn't quite look like um, he, he will respond. He's rough around the edges. You know, he, he he's not going to respond to the gospel. But the gospel doesn't discriminate. It, it It's out there. It's a two-edged sword. Um, it, it pierces the bone and the marrow. Um, and so the gospel doesn't discriminate, and, and neither should we. Uh, but it's very easy for us to judge um, ahead of time who we think will um, respond to the gospel or not. And um, that's just not what we should should do. And that's what Jesus was showing to the disciples at that moment, that it doesn't matter if we don't like somebody or not. Um, they are just as ripe to to hear the gospel as, as anybody else. They They have that same right to do that. Um, another one is um, that we we think that we're too busy. Sometimes we're just too busy to do. Th- we're doing things for God, and we're 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 helping out at the church, um, and, and and we're just too busy to share the gospel with with people. But we're we're working for God, right? You know, we're 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 doing all these things. We're helping out at the church. We're we're doing ministry. Um, outside of the church uh, we're just we're just doing a lot of things but we're not sharing the gospel what Jesus came to do and um, that's what Jesus said at, at the very beginning he says I have food to eat that you don't know about uh, verse 34 my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work he's here to do the will of the father and the will of the father is to um expand the kingdom. That's what he was here to change lives. Um, and that's what Jesus came to do. Um, and, and so a lot of times we think that we're, we're too busy doing things that we don't want to, to share. Um, it's not that we don't want to share, but we just think we don't have the time to sit down and explain it. Um, or we don't have the knowledge to sit down and explain the gospel with somebody. Um, and, and when Jesus was talking to them and he said, I have food that you do not know about, uh, they were, the disciples were kind of confused and they were wanting to try to understand what Jesus meant. And so Jesus clarified his comment and he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is so absorbed with the matter um, at hand that he doesn't even want to stop to eat. That he is just, he wants to share what God the Father had sent him to do. He he wanted to just continue on with that. It's an urgency that Jesus had to do this because he knew within a, a matter of a couple of years that, that he would be dead, uh, 
that he would die on the cross and that he would uh, be resurrected again and then he would be ascended back into heaven. That, that he only had a short amount of time here to do what God the Father wanted him to do um, and to expand the kingdom. So he, the urgency to share with other about um, Jesus being the Messiah was was pressed upon his heart. Um, and it's not something that we we get to um, uh, sharing the gospel is not something that we we get to it when we feel like we want to do it. Um, it it's not something that takes a back seat. You know, it, it's it's something that that needs to be urgent on our hearts, and that we need to be able to share that with those um, that we come in contact with, because like, it's a, it's a matter between life and death. Um, we never know when our time may uh, be called up. And, uh, we, we, we could say, oh, I'm going to, I want to share with that person next week, um, about it. And then, you know, next week never comes for them. Um, so it's a matter between, between life and death, um, sharing the gospel. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, we're, we're distracted. We're distracted from our mission. And so I want to ask you, said, what distracts us from our mission? What distracts us from sharing the message of eternal life with those who are spiritually dying? What distracts us from that? A lot of times it could be just uh, the busyness of life, um, going to, to work every day, doing the same things every day, um, being busy at the church, you know, of... Uh, uh, of just doing certain certain activities, um, trying to to please our kids in in certain aspects uh, of their lives, um, a lot of things just distract us, and that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to distract us from sharing the message of Christ. There's a commentator um, that spoke on this passage, and and he he says this. He says, by his example, Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God should have priority over all bodily comfort. See, you know, Jesus was hungry at the time. He was thirsty uh, because he he asked the woman at the well for some water. But he was also hungry because the disciples were off to get food. But he shows us that the kingdom of God had priority even over food, even over his bodily comforts. Jesus's food was to accomplish the work that God gave him to do. Um, the commentator also says, "To um, that work was to advance God's kingdom, to restore lost souls to life, to spread the light of the gospel, and to bring salvation to the world." Jesus was urgent at sharing the message that he came to bring, um, that he was the Messiah. A lot of times we get distracted from the mission that God has given to us. Um, and and we just need to bring that back in and and remember the main focus of, of why Jesus had called us here, why we are here, why we're here on earth. Um, the reason we're here on earth is to glorify God, right? And to glorify God is to doing his his work of doing what he he wants us to do that's how we glorify god 
And what he wants us to do is to share the gospel and expand the kingdom. Um, another one that we have is uh, another failure that we usually do and we think about is that I'll do it later. Um, like I said earlier, we never know when it's our time to go. Uh, we never know when it's uh, somebody is here and, and, and we may not see them again. Um, so and Jesus asked the disciples a pointed question. Um, in verse 35, he says, don't you say there are four, there are still four months, uh, until the harvest. So he's saying, guys, uh, do you guys really think that we need to be waiting before we, we, we reap the fruit of the harvest? He says, no, we don't need to, to wait. He says, the harvest is ready right now. He says, it's here. You know, what are we waiting for? And Jesus is just trying to 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 show them and to give them uh, the sense of urgency to to send the gospel home to the hearts of um, others. Uh, we don't wait for a different time or a better time. The harvest is now. It's it's ready right now. It's right. Um, and so we need to be sharing the gospel right now. Charles Spurgeon, who is the Prince of Preachers, uh, and when he was preaching on this passage, he challenged his congregation with this. And he, he says, some of you good people who do nothing except go to public meetings, the Bible readings and prophetic conferences and other forms of spiritual indulgence would be a good deal better Christians if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves for work and go and tell the gospel to dying men you would find your spiritual health mightily restored for very much of the sickness of Christians. Uh, it comes through uh, their having nothing to do. A long, long sentence. Um, all feeding and no working gives men spiritual indigestion. Be idle, careless, with nothing to live for, nothing to care for, no sinner to pray for, no backslider to lead, back to the cross, no trembler to encourage, no little child to tell of a savior, no gray-haired man to enlighten the things of God, no object, in fact, to live for. And who wonders if you begin to groan and to murmur and to look within until you are ready to die and despair? Spurgeon is challenging his readers uh, and his congregation to say, hey, go out there now. It's ready. Who are we? Um, if we have no nobody to pray for, nobody to share for, what what really is is life worth living for? Then you know, uh, a lot of the people, the dying and, and the spiritual around us, are just thinking of there's nothing really um, to live for. This this is it. This is all that I have. But we know that there is hope in Christ and hope for the future. Um, and so these three excuses that we usually give, we do it, and um, it's I think it's excuses that were given by Satan to try to um, get us from not sharing um, the gospel of, of God. And we, we just need to have that sense of urgency to go in and share. Last week, I did challenge you to uh, that we all knew one person 
to be praying for, that we can be able to share the gospel with them. And I want to continue to encourage you to pray for that one person that you know of and to share the gospel with them, to do it urgently, to do it quickly. Right now, there's um, the last couple of days, there's been snow on the ground. Uh, we were not able to go anywhere. And what did you have to do, man? At the house, we were just sitting there, really. The kids playing outside. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. Um, so we had time. You had time right now to share the gospel with somebody that you do not know. Um, uh, and and to share with that one person that we know of that that does not have a relationship with God. Could be a family member, could be a coworker, could be our neighbor, whoever it may be. We need to have that sense of urgency, just like Jesus had that sense of urgency. So I hope you have a great rest of your week, um, that you stay warm and you stay safe, and we'll see you on Sunday. Take care. In chapter five, because um, I was rereading it through, I, I mentioned. Um, it, it should have really kind of tied into last week's message. I should have kept on going, but I, I put a break there. But um, really, all that Jesus is doing right there in that last portion of chapter 5 is, is he's showing his deity again, of who he is, his authority, um, showing the wisdom, um, the, the wisdom of who he is, his authority with, with God, creating himself equal with God. Uh, and then he's backing that up with telling of the witnesses that came before him about John and um, those. And he's just saying that if you don't listen to me, you're not listening to the Father is, is kind of what it's all coming down to. So it's Jesus' authority and his deity with God. Now we come to John chapter 6, and it is a very familiar story. Um, and one of the reasons why it's probably familiar is because it is the only story outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Matthew writes about it, Mark writes about it, Luke, and in John as well. And it is the story of the 5,000, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so we'll start in chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, "'Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat?' He asked this to test him, for he knew himself what he was going to do. Then Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have even a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed 
them to those who were seated. So with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples to collect the leftover, leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with pieces uh, from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, Truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So this story, like we said, is probably one of the most familiar passages and one of the familiar stories uh, in, in the scriptures because it is mentioned in all four of them. But this story kind of stirs your imagination up a little bit. Um, at least it does mine. And I'm kind of wondering, when this story was happening, when did the bread and the fish multiply? Was it right after Jesus gave thanks, or was it as they were passing it around? More than likely, uh, you've probably seen the the Jesus movie um, that came out in the, the 80s. In that scene where he's feeding the 5,000, you see him lift up the bread, he gives thanks, and then all of a sudden there's baskets in front of everybody else. Everybody. I don't, I, of course I wasn't there, we weren't there, we don't know how it is, but I kind of think it was when they were starting to pass it out, it was just multiplying. It was just a endless, it was, it was a buffet that was everybody, you'd grab what you want, and keep on, and it was just still right there. Maybe the five loaves and the two fish was all that was in that basket, and when they grabbed one, it just multiplied. It just, it was there. It was a true miracle. Um, but this is the fourth of Jesus' signs, or his miracles. What were the other three? That was before then. Turning water into wine, that was the first one. I hadn't got to that, that yet. The healing of the official son. And then the one that we spent two weeks on, it was the healing of the lame man at the pool. And so now we come to the fourth one, which is the five loaves and the two fish. So for context, we're going to look at it. He is in the Galilee region, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, over there. When John writes, John's book, when you read it, he says, after this, after this, then this happened, then this happened. He doesn't put time periods. It just seems like it's a marathon. But there is a time period between what had happened at the pool of Bethesda with the, the lame man and this period right here. We don't know how long that was, but it was probably um, up to a half of a year, six months, somewhere, somewhere between one day and six months, somewhere in between them. Because, you know, Jesus was in Jerusalem when he healed the, the lame man, and that was a festival. 
at that time. He was there in Jerusalem for a festival. We don't know what festival it was, but it was a festival. So it was probably about a month or so late, you know, a month or two months later where he started to head up to the Galilee region because the scripture says it's the Passover and it's springtime. John is very particular about dates, even though he says after this and continue on. But he, he wants to let us know when this had happened. And it's no coincidence that this happened on the Passover with Jesus feeding 5,000 with bread and a fish. But John mainly focuses on the bread in this passage because a little later on, Jesus gives a message about being the bread of life. Okay, so, and then we also think of the Lord's Supper, which happened around Passover, with Jesus giving the bread out, and him saying he's the bread. So I, I kind of think that there's a correlation right here that John really wants to point out, and why it was at the Passover at that time. Um, but in the Roman, um, we, we know it's the Sea of Galilee, but it also says, or Tiberius. Tiberius was a city that was set up from King Herod's, Herod the Great's son. I don't remember his name, but it's, it was a city set up by him at this time. And so it was a, a, Roman, um, a Roman area. And John is writing this to the Greeks, but he's also writing this to the Romans as well, so they understand where this was happening. They were, the Romans would have called it Tiberius, but the Jews would have called it the Sea of Galilee. So it was right there at the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is with the disciples. He goes up on this mountain. Really, it's, I don't know, Dad, you've been over there. It's more like a hilly region. It's not really like mountains of... Yeah, so it was it was more like a, a hill region, but call it the mountain, and that's kind of significant too, because Jesus went up the mountain, and I'm I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but Moses went up a mountain as well. And they, he's with his disciples, and then all of a sudden, Jesus sees this crowd coming towards him. This is very significant because the people, John says right up here, he says, um, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. These people saw Jesus as giving them something. They wanted to see these miracles that Jesus was putting on, the spectacles that he was, he was doing. They didn't come for Jesus' words. They came for what they can get out of it. And a lot of times, Christians, I'll, I'll put Christians in air quotes, um, in America mainly, 
only come to Jesus when they can think that they can get something out of it. Not to listen to his words, but only come to him when we think that, oh man, I'm at my lowest of lows. You know, get, Jesus, get me out of this situation. Well, really, you're the one that got yourself into it, you know. But they came because they were entertained. They wanted to be a part of this and, and this, this entertainment. There is a poet um, from Rome, and they lived in 100 AD, and it's called Bread and Circuses. And you might have seen something going around Facebook the last few days or so talking about this, but it says give, if you give them bread and circuses, they will, the people will be entertained enough and distracted enough that they will not revolt against the government is what this, this poet was saying. And this was in AD 100 in, um, in Rome. And if you think about AD 100, Jesus died probably around somewhere AD 33 to 35. And then Paul died in AD 65 to 68, somewhere in between there. This poet might have known who Paul was. I mean, within 40 years. And at this, this moment, they, they were all looking for things that would fulfill them, entertainment. So the crowd was coming to Jesus, and it's not much different than today. We look for things to fulfill us through entertainment. Look at last week at the, uh, the Super Bowl. There were 80-something thousand people there at that game and over 120-something million people watching it on TV. It's entertainment. Let me tell you, NFL is not a sport. It is an entertainment game. It's entertainment. That's what it is. NASCAR is not... I, NASCAR is a sport. But, uh, but it's entertainment. You know, it is entertainment. They're all doing it for ratings. You know, they're, they're doing it for, for TV time. They're doing it for advertisements. We are an entertainment-based people. We want things to keep us entertained. And that's what these people were doing. They were going to Jesus because they wanted to see and try to get something out of it and to see a big spectacle. When Jesus kind of already knew, he didn't kind of already know, he knew what was going to happen. And he sees this crowd coming towards him. Now get this, how many people were there? Five, is it 5,000? There were 5,000 men. 5,000 men. That was not including men and children. They weren't talking about the ladies or, or the, the, the kids. It's possible that it was only 5,000 men. But really, it's not possible because we know there was at least one boy there because he gave up his lunch. So more than likely, there was probably somewhere between, the numbers I've seen was fifteen to 20,000 people. Fifteen to 20,000 people. Can you wrap your head around that? Let me put it in perspective. The average NBA basketball court can seat night about 19,000 people. So think about an NBA game, that's basketball, 
NBA game filled to capacity, that's how many people were coming towards Jesus and the 12 disciples. That's a lot of people. So how many acres do you think that they had to have where they could sit down? Brad's ranch. They had to have all of Brad's ranch to go sit down and be there. They all came to see Jesus because of the miracles that he had done. So then he asked, Jesus asked Philip, Hey, Philip, where can we buy food? And it says that Jesus did this to testing. Well, Philip's kind of thinking, I don't know, let me dig in the money bag. We only have 200 days worth of salary here. That's not enough to feed 20,000 people. Okay? Even today, if you think about it, one denarii was worth a day's wage. All right? And they had 200 of it. So about 200 days worth of work. If in today's standards you got $100 a day, you had how much? How much would they would have had? $20,000. Is that enough still to, to for 20,000 people, maybe rice and beans? But that's, that was a drop in the bucket, nothing. And so Peter was desperate. He was, or Philip was desperate. The disciples were probably desperate, trying to figure out, how are we going to feed these people? I mean, they, they came to see your signs and wonders. How are we going to do this? And so they probably start going out into the crowd, looking for um, anything, taking up donations, you know, and passing the bucket around. And, and even if they had enough money, they couldn't go buy it all enough for them. And then, <laughs> no Walmart... And then Andrew comes and says, hey, this boy is offering his lunch of five barley loaves and two fish. Barley, I don't think I've ever had a barley bread, but barley at the time was reserved for the poor. It was a cheap grain. And so it was for the poor. And this boy was, probably came from a poor family. And he said, here, I have these five barley loaves, and I have these two fish. Two fish. And I started to wonder, I said, what kind of fish were they? Okay, what kind of fish were they? <clears throat> Fred, what kind of fish were they? Trout. <laughs> he said, freshwater trout, because that's not... <laughs> Not good eating, and everybody can have some off that. <laughs> um, so I did, I did a little bit of research. I said, what type of fish are in the Sea of Galilee? And there's three types of fish. Hush, back there. There's three types of fish, okay? There is a sardine, but that's mainly caught at night. And then a sardine, you know, is only about that big. They're, they're very little, so that's not even enough to feed this boy for a meal. So it probably wasn't it. Then they have like a, sal, uh, you know, a, a salmon type of thing. I, 
it, but it, the pictures I saw, like they were huge. So this boy probably didn't carry two of those things around. So the next one is St. Peter's fish, which is kind of like a tilapia. It's in that family. And it's eaten a lot around there, um, especially in the Sea of Galilee in that area. And there's a lot of the, that St. Peter's fish there. And they're only about, I think, about that big. You know, fishermen, they're only about that big. <laughs> Keep going. Um, and, and it was dried. It was a dried fish that, that he had had. It might have been pickled. And he brings this to Jesus. And he says, here, this is what we got. This is all that we have from the, the surveying of the first few rows that we went out. Five rolls of bread that, been, that might have been that big and two fish that were about that big. You think that's going to feed? That's enough for one, maybe two people. If you're like my wife and she only eats two bites, it's enough for two people. Not 20,000. But while the disciples were desperate, Jesus already knew. And it's easy to think about, it's like, man, why were the disciples questioning this? Weren't they there when Jesus turned water into wine? Weren't they right there when he healed the official's son? Wasn't he right there when he told that man to, to, to get up and walk? I mean, that's kind of a head-scratcher, you, you would think. But we weren't in their position. We might have been doing the same thing, of like, I don't know how we're going to do this. But Jesus, knowing and tested the disciples with that question, showing them where their faith was. He does that with us all the time. Jesus tests us in our faith to see where we are at. And he said, watch this. So Jesus gives thanks to the bread and the fish and miraculously all 20,000 people had enough to eat. They could get as much as they wanted, but they had enough to eat. Not only that, how many bread baskets did they pick up afterwards? One for each Twelve. Twelve baskets of leftovers. So not only did Jesus provide enough, he provided even more, an abundance. And that 12 is a significant number because of how many disciples were there? 12. But how many, how many tribes are there? 12. So it could be significant for the disciples, but also the 12 tribes of the nation. Now, where this gets even a little bit deeper, pull your britches up because we're, we're going into some deep stuff. Jesus 
And the Jews right there that were right at that exact moment, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, truly, this is a prophet who is... Now, that is significant because in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19... Moses said to the people, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen. It is another prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling at this moment. There's a lot of parallels between this story and the story of the Jews the Israelites coming out of Egypt. One, they went to the wilderness. They went up onto this mountaintop where there was nothing else around except green grass. Two, there wasn't enough food for them to eat. There wasn't enough food for the Israelites to eat out in the wilderness either. So what did God do there? provided manna for them. Manna and pheasant, or quail. Manna and quail. He provided for them there. This is a direct parallel in in the Scriptures. And, And did you know, who wrote this book that we're reading right now? John? John wrote this book, right? Who wrote Exodus? Moses. Did, was Moses alive when John was writing this book? No. So they couldn't have gotten together and said, let's make a, let's make a, a scripture that fits our, our needs. Only God can do that. Only God can make that distinction and that parallel drawing back 3,000 or so years, yeah. Going back. Jesus understood that the people were looking at him as his prophet. They understood that. And they wanted to make him king. Okay, because they thought, you know, the Messiah was going to come in and rule over just the area and get rid of the Roman oppression that they they were having. He was going to defeat that. They got one little part of wanting to make him king correct. They got the part correct of he is a king, but not just a king on earth. He is the king of kings. He didn't want to just save them from this local oppression that they were having, but he wanted to save them from their sins. And and so Jesus knew that that they wanted to make him this king, so he withdrew himself. Afterwards, after the feeding um, and some teaching probably that had happened, he withdrew himself. And we didn't, get, we didn't go any further, but Jesus told the disciples to go down to the Sea of Galilee to get into a boat and start going off, and Jesus withdrew himself up into the mountains. 
So with this story, what, what can we gather from this story that we can apply to our lives? Well, first one I think is the Lord provides, uh, he, he provides for your needs, not your wants. He provides for your needs, not your wants. Did, did some of them probably want steak like what we had tonight? They, they probably wanted some good food, but Jesus provided for their need, their hunger at that moment of the bread and the fish. Jesus always does that. God always does that. He provides for our needs, and he gives us not just enough, but sometimes he gives us an abundance of it. And how, how can we put that into perspective that he provides for your needs? Well, in my, my case, I'll tell you in my case, multiple things came into play when we moved to, to Charlotte. Multiple things came into play. And one of them was a, a pastor there let us, me and Katie, stay in this mission home for a couple of weeks before we could find a place to stay. And then during that time, we got involved with uh, a group called Apartment Life who is actually based out of Euless, and we didn't know that. My mother-in-law was going to First Baptist Euless at the time. Some of my professors were going to First Baptist Euless. But we got involved with this Apartment Life thing uh, a ministry where they place people in apartments to do ministry there. But not only that, the apartment that we stayed in was governed by one of our close friends in Florida. We had no idea. It was a gray star property, and one of our close friends there in Florida was a manager over the, the whole Graystone properties. We had no idea this was happening. So that God was providing for our needs at that point. Then later on, after the whole racing gig, I went down to South Carolina and did some youth ministry work. As I was looking for a position, and it popped up in my Facebook thing today, five years ago today, Actually, probably five years ago yesterday is what it would have been. I was let go from that church because of, I was looking for somewhere else, and there's a long backstory behind that, but I was looking for somewhere else. I, I told one of our deacons who I thought I, I could trust to, that would uh, say, hey, could you cover me for this weekend? I'm taking vacation. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to go talk to this other church. Well, he calls me up and says, don't come back, basically is what it was. Don't come back. So at that moment, I had no idea what to do. I was like, okay, God, you, you've got this. Man, our, our house was sold before we even knew that we were going to be moving to Florida. And it happened. God provided for our needs every step of the way. Not our wants. It wasn't the direct way of how we wanted to go about this. I wanted to, you know, do the proper stuff with the, the church and still have those friendships and all that, but he provides for our needs. And you've probably seen that in each one of your lives. 
He provides not just for your needs, but a little bit more. Sometimes he'll give you what you want if it's according to his will. But let me tell you this. We may all want to win the lottery, but more than likely that's not going to happen because that can change you. But if God knows what your heart is and how it may not change you and what you're going to do with it all, God may provide that for you. But He provides for your needs. Next one is that we should seek His will, not our own. These Jews, this crowd that went to Jesus to see this spectacle, probably had their own idea of what was going to happen. But that wasn't God's will, right? God's will was to provide them with the bread and the fish so that later Jesus can talk about being the bread of life. And then we need to trust in the Lord's plan. Andrew and Philip were questioning how they were going to feed this many people. They didn't trust right there in the Lord's plan. When whatever happens to us, we need to trust that God has this, that he's going to take care of it, and we're just along for the ride. And it's a wonderful ride, but it can be a, in the moment, it can be a scary, scary ride. But when you look back on it, you see it's wonderful. Jesus doesn't see problems the way that we do. I think there's one other thing, Kevin. The faith of the little boy was a lot that he did. He didn't see it as a problem. He just knew he had something. He was willing to share that. And if you're, one time you may think, well, I don't have anything. God's able to take what you give. You're going ahead. Okay. <laughs> Jesus doesn't see the problems that we do. But we need to give what we have. That was my, give what we have right there. <laughs> give what we have. <laughs> we need to give what we have no matter if it's you, you think you may not be um, you might not be a carpenter you might not be a cook but you are you have a gift that you can use look at Miss Sherry back there one of her gifts is an encourager and a prayer warrior. Now, she probably can't hold a hammer and slam things into the wall. You can, you can't. Okay, okay. <laughs> but but her, well, some of her gifts are an encouragement in prayer. Each one of us have a gift that we can give, and we need to use that gift. And we need to give it to God. Because like we said, he doesn't see problems the way we do. But if we trust in him, he will get us through whatever problem that we have.
All right. I've gone five minutes past. That means there's probably already three cars that have qualified. <laughs> and so it's time for us to go and put it on there. Good thing is there's 40 other cars waiting to go. So we'll pray and have a good rest of your week. Father God, thank you um, for tonight. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, thank you for your provisions. You are the provider. Lord, in fact, that's one of your names is the provider. And you provide for us even though we don't deserve it. And we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace for that. Lord, thank you for this congregation, Lord. I, I ask that you, you bless them, that you protect them, Lord. Let them see your glory in only ways that you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a great night. We thank you for listening to Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We are located on Highway 259 just south of the four-way in Omaha. You may also find us on Facebook or the web at barnonecowboyministries.com, a place where we don't care about your past but care about your future.